So the game we played tonight and freeze, it's difficult because you come in mid-scene, right? You don't know what happened before, and you kind of don't know what's going to happen after. You're just kind of making it up as it goes. Um, and really, that's kind of like life, isn't it, right? We get here, by the time we're conscious of like our surroundings and who we are, like at age like four, five, six... There's already been stuff that's happened up to this point. And really, we're just kind of making it up as we go when we move forward. But you are in the midst of a large story. You are in the midst of the story. You're in the midst of history, which is his story. When I was in high school, theater was a big deal. So we had a school of about 2,500 kids, and one-fifth of all kids of the school were either in choir or theater. So that's one out of every five. That was over 500 kids. So we had a spring musical every year, and the spring musical drew from both the choir program and the theater program, and it was a big deal. Over 100 kids over the course of three days would audition for the spring musical. And the reason it took three days is because they would put you through the motions. They'd literally have you with a group of people somewhere between 30 and 50 out in kind of the main um, atrium. And we'd be learning choreography as a group. They wanted to see how fast you could pick it up. And then they'd break you into smaller groups as you presented it to the directors. You'd also learn music. You'd have to sing solos. You'd have to sing as a group. You'd have to sing in smaller groups. And then you would also read lines. It was a three-day ordeal before the callback list was posted. Now, what is a callback list? The callback list is they would take the people that they wanted for speaking roles and they would put them on a list to have them come back and speak for those specific parts. I remember being a freshman, which some of you are now. We were doing the musical Anything Goes, which takes place on a boat. Auditions that year were grueling, but I was there with my other freshman buddies, and we were determined to make an impact, um, even if we were new. So we worked hard for three days, and on Thursday, they posted the callback list for that evening. Callbacks, again, are for people who have speaking roles. So they posted the callback list at the end of eighth period. Okay? So they put it on the outside of the theater door. And then everyone would run to the theater after school and they'd see whose name was on the callback list. So we ran to see who would make the cut. As a freshman, there wasn't much of a chance for my name being on the list. But I wanted to know who was there because it might give me a hint to who was going to get what role. We had tons of people at the school at that point that I would consider stars. Okay, Um, Many of which they still perform for a living today. Like, that's just what they do, whether it's being a puppeteer, whether one works at Universal, two are in New York, one's in Hollywood. Like, it was kind of an all-star group. Um, PJ, HD, Peter, Kristen, um, like Karen, Julia. Like, these upperclassmen were upperclassmen with clout. So we were all kind of excited to see what would happen. Um, And there... Near the bottom of the list was my name. And that terrified me, right? Not because I had made the list, but, well, 
not because I hadn't made the list, but because I had made the list. Like, oh, junk. What am I going to do now? So I had to go to the office, and I had to telephone my mother. This was before cell phones. And let her know that I'm going to need a ride later because i got to stay for callbacks. I was excited, and I was terrified. So what do I do now? Okay? Because um, only one of my other friends is there. And then there's this it crowd, right? It's the guys that, are, that everyone kind of looks up to. They're, they're in the game, so to speak. Um, and I get to do some scenes with them. And all I could think as I was sitting there at that auditorium was, oh, crap. Right? What am I going to do? I was nervous. I was terrified because I wanted to be them. I wanted to be cool. They almost looked like adults. Some of them had full beards. Right? So I sang some parts, rehearsed some lines, reworked the choreography I'd learned from earlier that week, and went home and waited on the news of what role I would get. Now, I didn't get any lead roles. Okay? Thank God. I was more terrified that that would happen than that would not happen. But I did get a speaking role. I was the ship's purser, which is just the bag boy on the boat. And what I did get to do is I did get to have some scenes with some very talented people. I did get to interact with the leads throughout the course of the show. And I got to learn a lot and be on stage. But the lesson I learned the most is that being a side character isn't so bad. It isn't so bad. You still get the applause. You're still on stage. And you get to interact with the main protagonists, the main characters. You get to learn from them and get to grow. I was not the main character. And even in my story, my life, I have to come to realize something similar. And that's your first fill in the blank. I am not the main character. I am not the main character. I love theater because at the end of the day, there are many similarities between life and the stage. That's why I wanted to become a theater teacher. The three-act play is a staple of every theater that you'll go to in the world. And really, the three-act play has been a staple of the stage since time began. Whatever culture you go to, they do something similar. And it works like this. This is the three-act play. Act one, introduction of the characters and introduction of the problem. Act one. Act two, trying to solve the problem failing one time, and then building up to the climax, which is where the problem will be solved. And that happens in Act 3, where the climax hits, and then the fallout from it. What makes something a comedy is if it's a good fallout from the climax. What makes something a tragedy is if something bad happens in the climax. We see this in every movie, in every TV show, in every book. You see it in music all the time now. And when these rules are not followed, the movie, the television show, the book, typically don't do well financially. They don't. The three-act structure is the natural build, climax, and resolution. In many ways, the three-act structure is the universal story. Every culture follows the exact same pattern. And I think the reason every culture follows the same pattern is because there seems to be a universal story. 
The three-act structure reflects reality. And if you remember our conversation about truth last week, truth is what reflects reality. And if truth is what reflects reality, then I think there very much is a universal story that's taking place. So when we are comparing competing worldviews, what, are, what we're really comparing is competing stories. Christianity is not just about, well, some guy named Jesus died on the cross for my sins. No. It is that, but it is so much more. It is all-encompassing to how we interact with the world. The Christian worldview is a three-act play, and it goes as follows. It's your next fill-in-the-blank. Creation, fall, redemption, Glorification, creation, fall, redemption, glorification. And ironically, you can see that structure in almost every film. Almost every book also follows that same structure. Because I think they're reflecting the universal story. For the Christian, act one is creation. And in the same book, Genesis introduces the fall, the problem. And then we have Act 2, which is the build-up to how the problem is going to be solved. We see the nation of Israel and how they interact with the Godhead and how they have to overcome their sin and the realization that they can't. That's all of Act 2. And then Act 3 is the climax. It is the introduction of the Savior who comes And saves his people out of the midst of their sin because they could not save them. And then Act 3 also is glorification. It's the fallout from what happens with Jesus. It's Acts all the way to Revelation. And all the way through today. We are living in the midst of Act 3. Which is crazy to think. Every worldview has its own story though. It's not just Christianity. For atheism, think of it this way. Atheism's story is this. We are a cosmic accident. You are stardust. There's a problem, namely that you are a cosmic accident. And the outcome of it is that, well, you're going to try to find your own purpose, but at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter because you're going to die. That's the story that we compete with with atheism. With Buddhism, it's something similar. You were created, not to atheism, but something similar to our story. You were created. You must follow a set of rules. If you follow that set of rules, when you die, you come back as something better. And then the story continues again. If you don't follow that set of the rules, when you die, you come back as something worse. And then that's that infinite story cycle that you see in... um, Eastern religions. It's much more circular. New Age spirituality is weird. This is the Oprah stuff. This is the secret. This is forms of liberal Christianity. And that is, you were created to be the best you. And if you don't end up being the best you, well, that's okay. You still get to go to heaven. You just don't get to enjoy it as much as everyone else who did become the best then. Like that's the new age spirituality. And this is the problem for most Christians. That's your next fill in the blank. Most Christians, they don't understand their story. They don't understand their story. 
They don't know how the puzzle fits together. So when a friend asks them about Christianity or what they believe, they don't know where to begin. I'm hoping this series for you helps rectify the problem. So if you will open with me to Genesis 1-1, we'll start there. That's our story tonight. It's probably the most foundational thing you will come across. Genesis 1-1. It's also the, probably the, one of the more offensive things to our culture. You, that's, that's the only verse we're covering tonight. So many of you can say it. Okay, Genesis 1-1-3-2-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was there at the beginning. That means in our story, God is before time. He's outside of it. He's creator. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you find that he is a creator and he makes a creation and he interacts with us. He is a personal God. That is part of our story. But he is God. The main character in the Christian story is God. God is the protagonist. He is the focus. The story is His story, not ours. I wrote down on my sheet that we are at best the ship's purser, kind of like I was in Anything Goes. But then I really started to think about our story. Really in the story, we're the romantic love interest. We're we're who the protagonist is seeking the whole entire time. We're not just a side character in it. We are someone who the main character is seeking. If anything, we're the MacGuffin, right? That's a real, for those of you that are theater people, you'll get that. So Joe's the only one that probably knows what a MacGuffin is. You can all go home and Wikipedia that. But we're the ones, we're the thing that the main character is seeking. But God is the main character. When I was a world history teacher, I'd get to the lesson about Nicholas Copernicus. And I would ask all the students to put all the objects that could be thrown in their pockets. And all the middle schoolers would be like, <laughs> okay. They'd take all their pencils and whatever else is under this, put it in their pockets. And I'd say, I now want you to put your hands on your desks. <laughs> and they'd, they'd laugh and chuckle and put their hands on the desk. I'd say, I'm going to break some news to you. Nicholas Copernicus figured this out, and I want you to know it too, Okay. But then I don't want you to throw anything at me. I'm just the messenger boy. I'm just the messenger. Don't be mad at me. Okay? And I would tell them this. The the world doesn't revolve around you. And then I'd duck behind the table and they'd all laugh and chuckle. And the reason they would all laugh and chuckle is because they knew it was true. Nicholas Copernicus is the one that said that the sun was at the center of the universe and we weren't. Okay? The reason they chuckle and laugh is because, well, they kind of knew it's true. That's kind of how they acted most of the time. But the Christian story is not that. It's all about God. And it's your next fill in the blank. God is the main character in the story. God is the main character in the story. But this is cool. God created you to be part of the story. He cast you in the show. He wrote a role just for you that fits your specific strengths and fits you with a other group of the cast that should reflect your strengths as well. 
And if it is his story, the more you know about the main character, and the more you know how to interact with the main character, the more you will enjoy the story, and the more, more likely you will not end up being his antagonist. You don't want to be the antagonist to the protagonist. That's the enemy. Knowing who is the main character is, knowing who the main character is, and that we are side characters, is foundational aspect to our story. And this is why. Because if you have different expectations of the show, when it goes wrong, you will begin to treat the protagonist differently. If you have false expectations, like God is your side character, or he's your director, that when the world doesn't applaud you, you will react poorly. Jackie Hill Perry, she's one of my favorite rap artists, spoken word poets and authors. She's awesome. Puts it this way. She tweeted it out this week. During the trial, you'll either draw near or drift, depending on what you choose to believe about God. What's your next fill in the blank? During the trial, you'll either draw near or you'll drift, depending on what you choose to believe about God. Please hear this now, because when you're in the midst of the trial in three or five or seven or ten years, maybe this will be coming back to you. Okay? Every trial I've seen a student go through, every one in which it has been a crisis of faith, and they're wondering why God, and they're just going through all these issues with their relationship with it, all of it always stems from a false view of God. People who have drifted away in the faith that I have been former students of mine has all stemmed from a false view of God. They don't get His justice right. They don't get His mercy right. They don't get His love right. They sit there wondering why and they're like, I don't want to believe this anymore because it doesn't conform to my image. This is why I harp on this, right? This is why we're one of the youth groups in town that actually talks about who is God. Because if you don't know that, then when life goes funky and you're wondering what's up, all of the issues, are, a lot of it is going to be stemmed from a false view of God. So this is why we harp on this. So... We learned last week also, in addition to that, that sin nature makes it hard to think rightly about God. Our sin nature makes it hard to think rightly about God. We, by our nature, want to make Him in our image. Because that's what makes us most comfortable. So that's, that's working with us too. Okay? It's why it's so important to be grounded in Scripture and not your emotions. It's why it's so important to be grounded in Scripture and not your emotions. It's understanding that trials are natural, that suffering is part of the natural story, and that God allows us to grow in it. He is pruning us in the midst of the trials. If you think the main character doesn't know what he's doing, then you will drift as Jackie says. You will not cling. So what is God? 
What is God? We're going to end with that tonight. What is God? Luckily for you, this is on my test, okay, for the theology test for uh, the ordination stuff. What is God? It's one of the questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Because it's on my test, you're going to hear the song that I learned to learn this thing. And I am so sorry. It's catchy, and it helped me learn it, And but I now know it, okay? So it goes, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's God, okay? And I got that question right on my theology exam, okay? So we're good. But that is God. It is a proven method. The first of the list are the incommunicable attributes of God, namely those that we do not possess. If it's an incommunicable attribute, that means you don't got it, Grant. You don't got it, Trey. Zach definitely don't got it. Okay. So these are all things that we don't have. So the first fill in the blank there is God is spirit. God is spirit. In contrast... We are a soul-body composite. That's the philosophical term for what you literally are. Okay, You're a soul-body composite. Thank you. It's one of the kids from earlier. You're fine. It's not an Ewok or anything. Okay? Our soul is limited to our form and matter. So when we are a soul-body composite, our soul is in the body. My soul can't take over his body. Okay? Like, I'm limited here. God is spirit. He has no form or matter. So he is literally, does not have limitations to where he can exist. Does that make sense? So he's spirit. John 4.24 says this, God is spirit. And they worship him, must worship him in spirit and truth. Next thing is, God is infinite. I could literally go through one lesson on each of these. I'm not, you're welcome. So I'm giving you kind of the... Um, Merriam-Webster's dictionary version of this. God is infinite. He is without limit. That's all it means. He can do all things that are in line with His nature. So let me explain this briefly because people always ask, well, does that mean God can make a rock so big that He can't lift it? No, He can't because that's not in line with His nature. God's all-powerful. He can make any size rock He wants and He can always lift it. Okay? So, um, philosophically, he can do all things. Well, does that mean God can sin? No. Because philosophically, sin is the negation of. It is not actually a thing. Okay? So, murder is the removal of life. Stealing is the removal of the belonging. Adultery is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Saying the name of God, using it wrongly, is... Speaking out a falsehood. So it's something that's a negation. It's similar to what darkness is to light. Darkness doesn't actually exist. It is just the absence of light. Likewise, sin, philosophically, doesn't actually exist. It is just the absence of what is good. Does that make sense? So yes, we actually talk about sin as a thing, yes, but sin is always the removal or the absence of something that's good. So when God created all things in Genesis, all things were good. Okay? So God is eternal. That's number three. God is eternal. Namely, 
God doesn't function the same way we do. We explain Him as the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Not to say that He is with us in time, but to say that He is exactly the opposite. Sit around for a while and contemplate the eternality of God, and your head will spin. I did it one time. Even with the coffee and the Tylenol, it still hurt. Okay? God is outside of time. I don't know. I'd explain that to you any different. I don't know what he means by that. But he's outside of it. He can interact with it. But he's outside of it. He's eternal. Gives you a headache. It also has to do with God's immortality. While our souls are immortal in the sense that we will be forever somewhere. God is different than we are in this. Michael Horton says it this way. Not even angels or the human soul are immortal by nature. They came into being by God's word and exist only by that same power. Yet God not only lives, he is life. So everything else that has life is maintained in existence by God and breathed into existence by God. God, though, he is life itself. God is unchangeable. This is James 1.17. The Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow or turning. God is always the same. He's unchanging. Those are the incommunicable attributes. Things that you are not, nor could you ever be. That's a good thing, I think. So the other things are the communicable attributes. These are things that we possess in some capacity, if only a reflection of our God. God is wisdom. What does that mean? He knows the right thing to do. Dwell on that in the midst of trials. If God is wisdom itself, he knows the right thing to do. And he knows the right thing to do in the midst of his story. You're not the main character. God is power. This is weird. God doesn't use power. He is power. He's like a gas stove, like flames. Immediately on. Always on. The stuff on the stove can change heat. It can be cooked. It can be all those different things, right? But God himself doesn't use up any power. So when God spoke everything into existence, he wasn't tired the next day. He rested to model something for us. Not because he had run out of juice and needed to recharge. He's not Mario trying to find a mushroom. Okay? God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is the moral standard. It is who He is. It is not simply part of His character. It is who He is. God is justice. No bad deed will go unpunished. None. Zero. Nada. He knows exactly how much justice He's supposed to dish out for the quality of the crime. It's not the American justice system. He knows exactly what's perfect for it. God is good. He is not lacking anything morally. He is good. All good things come from the Lord. Why? Because they're a reflection of Him. Whatever goodness we discern in creation, including each other, is but a reflection of its source. God is truth. We talked about it last week. All truth is God's truths. 
All truth is God's truth. All reality is God's reality. We either understand reality by understanding Him, or we can be confused by reality our whole lives. Those are the two options. That's, that's it. I wish I could give you some like gray area, right? Like there's some like part of the goodness and the badness, like a yin and the yang. There's not. It's God's truth or it's, or it's false. So how should we respond to such a God? This is what we're going to spend our time in transformation groups discussing.